Welcome to episode number six of Hacks and Jacks, a fantasy baseball podcast. I'm Joe Galena, and as always, I'm joined by one of the brightest minds in fantasy baseball, Mr. Scott Chu. How's it going, Scott? I'm doing great. It's easily the nicest thing anyone has said about me in terms of my fantasy analysis, but I'm going to take it. I'm not, I, I am not in a position to turn away compliments, Joe. That's not where I'm at yet. Yeah, you know, I, I've learned that sometimes when somebody compliments you, I've always been very reluctant to accept it. But every once in a while, you just have to say, okay, thank you. And that's it. Just move on, right? So uh, I'd where... love to be in a place where I'm getting so many that I can turn them away, <laughs> push them, you know, like, oh, I've got so many, comp- I'm overflowing with compliments. Please take some back. I'm not there. That's not where I'm at, Joe. Well, I'm going to try to give you a compliment at least once a week. Okay. So you got one coming, uh, you know, at least when we do this podcast together. So, so we're counting down the days to the start of the baseball season there, Scott. Uh, any opening day traditions in the Chu household? Um, not so much in the household. I'm the only one in the house that's like big into <laughs> professional baseball. The only tradition I really have is begging my boss for at least half a day off so that I can watch as many games as possible. And then over the last couple of years, jumping in that PL Plus Discord, plug, plug, um, have a lot of fun in there. Um, every, you know, everyone's super excited. We've got hundreds of people in there just talking baseball all day. Every single thing that happens, every dropped ball, every nasty pitch, every hard hit, like we're all, all over it. So it's really fun to just hang out in there and, and hear what everyone's saying about baseball that day. Cause I can't have eyes on all games, right? Sure. But in yeah. there, at least five people are on each one. So it, it's a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, this is my first year with Pitcherless, and I'll be there as well. And, you know, it's like a national holiday opening day. And especially there's so much hope because we're going to get 162 game season this year. So uh, I'm playing in six fantasy leagues this season. And I I bet that you're playing in a a ton more there, Scott. Yeah, it's enough to where I don't have a number for you. (laughs) Um, I, I know that I have six drafts starting this afternoon till Sunday night. But wow. I'm already in a bunch of other leagues other than that. So, like, it's a problem. It's one that I really need to, like, reflect on personally because I'm addicted. It's just I I can't say no to starting, like, to getting into new leagues. And, you know, that's okay. Every year I say I'm going to get in fewer, and then I end up with more. It's just I, I'm sure a lot of people out there can, can uh, appreciate that feeling. But you say, I'm going to have fewer leagues this year. And all of a sudden, I've got three more than I did before. And I didn't drop any. So here we are. There you go. So uh, just as a reference point, we're recording this podcast on Saturday morning, March 27th, and it uh, breaks on, on Monday. So I'm going to try to find another league because, look, I, I love to draft. And, hey, look, it didn't work out this way for me this season, but I prefer to draft as close to opening day as possible. And with all the breaking injury news from last week, I think that scheduling your drafts as close to opening day as possible is definitely a smart thing to do. Of course, with so many leagues featuring slow drafts these days, Scott, that's not always possible. Yeah. I mean, slow drafts are great because they accept the reality that most of us, especially if you've got friends across different time zones, different parts of, you know, in different phases of their life, it's hard to get everyone ever, everyone together for two or three hours, Mm -hmm. right? It's, it's really difficult, especially if you're doing like an auction where you're looking at more like four hours at Mm -hmm. times. So it's, it's difficult if you can do a, fast draft, be it, you know, in person or just through draft software, it is really nice to be able to do it close to opening day so that you don't look back on, you know, your, your slow draft team and be like, Oh wow. You know, three of my top 10 picks are now out for at least a month. 
You know, there's a lot of people that are in TGFBI lamenting their pick of Eloy Jimenez. And it was a great pick at the mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It You wouldn't even make it now. And that's what's tough. But also, the one advantage those slow drafts, I will say, other than the convenience, is you can get some bargains, right? If you were in on a guy early, you can get, you know, those earlier drafts, you get great bargains on some of those players mm-hmm. that at this point are now super hyped. Right. You know, especially, you know, guys that are, that were fighting for jobs that you just always believed in. If you had a really early draft, you know, that started in early February and you were in on Shohei Otani and you got in there, like his draft prices raised a ton, right? Mm-hmm. Or like CJ Crone. Yes. You were in on CJ Crone early. His, I mean, his ADP has jumped by like 150 points. Yeah. You know, He's so like you get him now 10 rounds earlier than you would have a month ago amazing yeah so i mean that's the one advantage it, they end up offsetting each other a bit but you know i'd say the slow draft one feels more painful because what you're usually ha- what's usually happening is you're losing early picks that are no longer like going to play and you're trying to get that value back and like cj crone can't replace eloy right right like right. even if you got a great bargain you got him 15 rounds ahead of his 80 or behind his atp that's great like mm-hmm. that doesn't replace eloy so right uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how you can do that later Mm-hmm. Um, sort of to an extent, there is no replacing a guy like that, but no, you know, it, no. it's the pros not. and cons. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just a, another comment regarding slow drafts and live drafts. I mean, sometimes you get so used to doing these slow drafts and you have the time to actually do your research in between your picks and, and whatnot. I, I was in a 15 teamer the other night and we were drafting live for three and a half, four hours. By the end of that draft, I was exhausted. You know, I just wasn't used to doing that anymore. It's endurance, you know, yeah. just like running. You know, you got to yeah. you got to build up that endurance. And with slow drafts, you're right. I mean, you get plenty of time to research, to haggle, to uh, decide what you want to do. Think about, oh, you know, who do I think my league mates are going to pick on, before my next pick? I can't do that so much in the fast ones, right? Like you have to be researching the entire time if you mm-hmm. want to be able to do that. You got to be yep. building cues the entire time. Instead of just like, oh, I'm going to build a queue and then ignore this for 12 hours. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about some of the major injury news that took place within the past week. And again, uh, as a reference point, like I said earlier, we're recording this on March 27th. So if anything new happens in terms of these injuries, uh, forgive us. But uh, there was one, and we were talking about before the show, Fernando Tatis, uh, who uh, was removed from Tuesday's game after he injured his shoulder while attempting to make a backhanded defensive play. And, and maybe I'm overreacting, but this one scared me, and I, I think it should scare anyone who rosters him in a dynasty league, because according to Padres manager Jace Tingler, uh, he's been experiencing some left shoulder discomfort off and on for the past few years. And he, to quote uh, Tingler, he says he has a, that Tatis has a good feel for when it gets bad and when it's not too bad. Now, the good news is that Tatis was able to play. He's been DHing the past couple of days. Actually, I think he hit a home run on Friday night. But I had no idea that he had, I don't know if I should call it a chronic shoulder issue, but this is news to me. And it was news to me too. In fact, I didn't hear about it until you mentioned it before the show today, <laughs> which is terrifying. And on one hand, um, that does give me concern right? Uh, anyone with recurring joint issues, like those things don't always get better, right? Like if any, again, I'm not a pro athlete. I don't have a pro trainer, but once my ankle started getting weird, it just stayed weird. 
Mm-hmm. Like it never really, it never really got better. It didn't matter how much I braced it, iced it, whatever. And I can manage it, but it's weird now. Like I just have a bad ankle at times and hopefully that's not what Tatis is going through. He's 10 years younger than me and I'm sure he's very spry and quick to heal unlike myself, but it worries me a little in dynasty, but not enough for me to move him anywhere. Right. Cause he was, I mean, he's to me one, you know, there's three different guys you could have at the top of your dynasty ranks between like him, Acuna, Soto. Mm-hmm. If you want to like shuffle them around slightly, like go for it, but who cares? Right. Like, He's still a number one, a top tier dynasty asset. If you want to call him number one, I don't think anyone will begrudge you. I actually have him in a dynasty league and he's the only guy that's not on the table because I told people that you would never want to pay what I would ask you for. Mm-hmm. You know, he's that level of talent for this season. Again, I've only, we've only heard this from the manager. And the reason I'm not super concerned yet is because he hasn't missed any time. And quite frankly, if this is how he plays with a bum shoulder, so <laughs> be it. Right. right. Like, so be it. I'll worry about this five, 10 years from now if, if it's never gotten better, but it's never really cost him any time mm-hmm. so far, you know, through the minors into the majors. And, you know, it doesn't even impact his defense. He's one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball. Like the guy's an incredible athlete. And at least in the short term, I think we can just assume that he is managing it well. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, even if it's holding him back a little, like that's really for the good of his opponents, right? Like mm-hmm. he almost needs a handicap because he's incredible defensively, incredible offensively. Yes. And, you know, if he's playing with a bit of a bum shoulder, like that just gives everyone else a chance. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I'll say is during the regular season, if he's forced to miss time, let's say for a couple of days while, you know, he's recuperating from a little discomfort, no DH in the NL. So he's going to be sitting. You know, he could pinch hit, of course, and whatnot. And the other thing that worries me is if I'm a, a dynasty manager who rosters him is that, you know, God forbid one of these years where it develops into something where, hey, finally, you know, you've been putting this off. You need to have surgery. And then he's out for a year. But I agree with you otherwise. The guy hit a home run on Friday night, has been able to bat since the uh, little injury on, on Tuesday night. But it's just something to keep in the back of your mind. So uh, you mentioned... Juan Soto, and now Juan Soto was removed from Thursday night's game against the Marlins after experiencing what the Nationals are calling a cramp in his right calf, and uh, Soto was expected to receive treatment, and I I don't see a a timeline for him coming back. Doesn't sound like it's anything too serious. Wasn't in the lineup on Friday night, maybe because I'm a Yankee fan and I've been dealing with Giancarlo Stanton and I've owned shares of Josh Donaldson, but calf injuries sometimes scare me. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, the first thing I wonder is like, what is the treatment for a cramp? Like chugging Gatorade? What? What is, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that treatment looks like. I'm sure there's something fancy they have, but what happens to me, it's like, here's some Gatorade, sit down for a while. But again, I, I understand what the Nationals are doing because if Juan Soto told me something hurt yeah, and it was right before the start of the season and my team's ability to compete is sketchy at best right it's a deep division now what what am i doing i'm protecting the like one of the best pure hitters in baseball sure who is you know at this point you know he's one of the most valuable assets in you know as far as like hitting in baseball right just like across the league he's i keep using this word he's incredible him and tatis i'll use that word incredible Mm -hmm. generational type talents so i don't mind that they're playing it conservative the fact that there's no timeline yet, I guess, doesn't really matter to me. There's still quite a while before opening day. Right. Would it really matter if he sat for three days, if he was going to be fine opening day? I'd I have yet to hear sit, anything. Right, than having to miss yeah. 
a long period of time. It almost feels like, on. you know, this is the phase of the season where, uh, at least in terms of spring, it's kind of like week four of the NFL preseason where like guys are going to sit if anything bothers them. Like it's like if they're gassy, the team will consider like, should we sit him? Should we make sure he's comfortable? Right? Like that's where we're at. So I'm less concerned about some of this stuff. Like, Oh, we removed him from the game. Cause like, they don't, they're not trying to win. Right. Like they're not trying to win spring training games. It doesn't really matter. So they're going to, you're going to see this more. I I'm going to be worried when I start hearing about like going to see a specialist, mm-hmm. um, partially torn something hairline fracture something like that's concerning but like a calf cramp like okay you know let me know if anything develops <laughs> uh you mentioned Eloy Jimenez and for those who don't know uh, he's going to be out for five to six months uh and suffered a ruptured left pectoral tendon gonna need surgery and it's kind of silly the way that this happened. Tried to rob a home run from Sean Murphy uh, on the A's in an exhibition game. So you kind of wonder, you know, why he felt the need to try to, you know, rob Sean Murphy of a home run. Maybe he's just taking all those criticisms of his defense a little bit too much to heart. But uh, I guess the fallout, like you said, there's really no replacing a guy like Eloy Jimenez. But what the White Sox are doing right now is they're giving their uh, rookie, Andrew Vaughn, who is a natural first baseman and was supposed to be their DH for much of the season. And they're giving him reps in left field. And uh, according to Tony La Russa, for the rest of spring training, that's where you'll see him. And he, and he played last night, went one for four as a left fielder. And then I want to say last night, I talked about Friday night. Yeah. And so, I mean, two pieces of news here. Number one, I don't mind that he was trying hard in spring. I mean, he's, he would be trying that in the regular season. Might as well give it a try now. Unfortunate that it, you know, tears his pec and he's going to miss a bunch of time essentially takes him off of the radar for draft season for us. Um, Really difficult to replace him. The White Sox are lucky to have a very deep lineup and might be able to work their way through this. One of the ways they'll do that is a guy like Andrew Vaughn. Now, I feel like I'm such a wet blanket on Andrew Vaughn because I don't have the same level of excitement. Like, I I still don't have, you know, if you look at my ranks, which I just updated on pitcher list, I updated every single hitter rank, added a ton of notes for a bunch of guys that are looking at different situations than they were uh, just a few weeks ago. And I still don't have Andrew Vaughn inside my top 20 at first base. And the reason is because the track record of players who go from, like 60 games in rookie and a ball to the major leagues is basically zero. We don't see this. And I know that Vaughn was an advanced prospect and that he had an advanced hit tool, but like for him to be successful, like you, I can name one player who's been successful playing. And this guy even played in double a, right? Like that's Juan Soto, Mm. right? Like that's it. That's a generational type talent. I'm not saying Vaughn can't do that. I'm saying if you bet against it, Uh, the odds are probably more in your favor. I think that he can be good, but this is not a guy with like 30 home run power. I think Vaughn is a 20 to 25 home runs. If he can play the full season and his batting average is really going to depend on how well he adapts to major league breaking stuff. I think this kid can hit the fastballs. No doubt about it. He saw big fastballs, even in a ball, right? He saw them in college. He hasn't seen 
the sliders and the curves and the change-ups that you get in the big leagues. Like, that's one of the biggest adjustments for young players. Even Vlad Guerrero has struggled with this, right? Vlad Guerrero Jr., one of the most hyped prospects that we've had in a long time. I still think he can be successful, but that's where the transition is, learning to hit those pitches. I mean, like, this site, Pitcher List, exists because of how nasty those pitches can be, right? Yep. Like, we we post gifts of them all the time. They're disgusting, and as a twenty young 20-something-year-old player, you've not seen that from the batter's box. At least, And certainly, if you have seen it, you have not seen it multiple times in the same at-bat, right? So right. that's going to be a big transition. That's why I'm not drafting him as like a starting first baseman in a 12-team league. But I think he's interesting as like a corner guy. If you want to, if you can get him late enough, which you probably can't at this point, uh, I liked him as a flyer. But man, the helium is is up so much that I'm not out on him. I just know someone will take him before I'm ready to. Yeah, he, I, I was looking. He's uh, oh, uh, rostered in 42 percent of Yahoo leagues, and I agree with you. I don't think he's a top 12 first baseman. I consider him as a utility player, maybe a corner infielder. But now you have to wonder, uh, Yasiel Puig and Joanna Cespedes, even Josh Reddick are still available as free agents. You wonder if the White Sox are going to look at them. You know, I wondered that too. I, I don't I don't see how Joanna Cespedes comes back, right? With the weird exit, you know, during the 2020 season where he just disappeared. No one knew where he went. Like, you know, with his, with his age and the fact that he simply hasn't played a significant time in half a decade, I, I don't see him coming back. Puig would be interesting, but the worst part of Puig, who I did not include in my top 100 outfielders, despite his talent, is that we don't hear anything about teams wanting to sign him. We heard that Atlanta was bringing him on and then he got COVID, mm-hmm. right? This happened in the you know later off season in 2020. He got COVID and then radio silence. I've not heard a thing. Um, and I don't know if, you know, if you have, please let me know, no, you know on Twitter or whatever, yeah, but I, I, I don't think there's any news. And so, you know, you might throw him on your watch list if you have like an infinite number of watch list spots, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I wonder if they'll sign a free agent, but I think they'd really like to see what they can get out of guys. Like, even though I think he's hurt right now, you know, Lurie Garcia, they really like as a utility guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the White Sox might very well say, we like our offense, even without Eloy for now. Um, so let's just see what we can do with the players that we have. I mean, they still have Jose Abreu. They still have Yasmani Grandal. They still have Luis Robert. I mean, they still have all these guys who can, and Tim Anderson. I mean, they, they're still very deep in the lineup. Yeah. I, they probably feel they can win the AL Central, uh, even if they don't get Eloy back till you know August, September. Mm-hmm. And they might be right. Yeah. You know, I, I think they might be right. So they might not do anything, and that wouldn't be a super surprise. Yep, yep. Replacing 40 home runs that uh, Eloy Jimenez could provide is tough, but I think they are deep enough to weather the storm. And like you said, might be getting him back in, in September. So keep our fingers crossed for him. And uh, next guy I want to talk about is Zach Galen, pitcher for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So an MRI, a CT scan, X-ray, all confirmed that the uh, forearm soreness that Galen was experiencing was caused by a hairline fracture in his right forearm. Uh, he suffered the injury while swinging a bat. Come on, universal DH, please. <laughs> All right. Good news, there's no ligament, tendon, or muscle damage, no surgery required. And what's even better is that he's allowed to do some soft tossing, so it's not like he's been totally shut down. But Diamondbacks manager Tori Lavulo 
basically can't give us a timeline. And, and you and I were both talking about this before the show in terms of this is kind of like, it sounds crazy, but he said that there's no pitcher that's been dealing, that has had to deal with a hairline fracture in his forearm. So he really doesn't know how long. I'm thinking weeks. I mean, it very well could be. So one of the downsides is that he's in the NL. So in theory, he'd have to hold a bat if he got into a start right now. They could just tell him, don't swing, right. take the strikeouts. But like the pitchers are already sort of a nothing burger in terms of offense in the NL. But like when you literally are just allowing yourself to get a strikeout automatically, like no chance at anything. I think that's a tough sell to a manager and to a team, you know, that it's already a free out, but now it's even more free. Like he's not even going to make contact kind of thing. So I, I'm concerned that like we don't have a comp because I'm not a doctor. I don't know what this is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think this is one where, um, you know, in terms of drafts and things like that, I mean, if his value is plummeting, I will scoop him up at some point because I'm not afraid of the unknown mm-hmm. necessarily, right? This isn't a thing where it's like, oh, well, we expect him to come back at the all-star break. This is like, like, I, I think you're right. I think it's something like this might be a couple of weeks. It yeah. might be on the shorter side of that. Mm-hmm. It might be a two-week IL stint. It might be a month. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, that's troubling that I don't know. But quite frankly, like guys get skipped in the rotation all the time early in the season. If a pitcher's going to miss time, I want it to be in early April yeah. because they might have gotten skipped anyway. Right now, it's usually like back end of the rotation guys, but there's all these days off. There's all these like weather cancellations and things like that. It's never good to miss time. If you miss this time, it's probably the least impactful for your team. So mm-hmm. at least you can hang your head on that and keep your eyes peeled for news. Like I haven't done it. I'll probably look up like how hitters come back from hairline fractures. That'll probably tell me the long end of the recovery because they need it to be fully like sort of fully healed so they can start swinging bats again. But you know, that's less of a concern for a pitcher. So mm-hmm. he can probably come back a little earlier, especially that there's no tendon or ligament or muscle damage. Right. That's what he really needs to throw. Like, if you throw a baseball a million times, you won't break your arm necessarily. You're going to injure tendons. You're going to injure muscles. You're going to hurt your joints, but like your bones, like they're, they're just mo- like, they're moving, but they're not banging against anything. They're not taking force. So I think once he's ready to like catch and throw, maybe swing a few times, like as long as he's like got enough arm strength to bunt, they'll probably put him back in. Yeah. Yeah. And according to reports, he's only really experiencing discomfort when he's throwing his curveball. So, and, and like you said, I mean, I could deal with a two week or a one month absence, especially for a guy with gallons uh, potential there. So hoping he gets back quickly. So George Springer outfielder for the blue Jays had an MRI confirmed that he has a grade two oblique strain. I never like to hear about oblique injuries, but the blue Jays are being optimistic. Say that his range of motion is pretty good. Doesn't appear to be a long-term injury calling him day-to-day, and I think that they're hoping that he could be ready for opening day. I think you're right, and they are. it's still trending that way. We haven't gotten any bad news yet since the sprain. Now, a grade two sprain, that's like the medium level. There's like grade one, two, three. Grade two is the medium level. I'd been hoping that it'd be like lower than that. That'd be a grade one. That'd be even less of concern. The thing about core injuries, as you can probably guess, is that it impacts your ability to just sort of move in total. That's why they're talking about his range of motion because core injuries, like if you've ever had a core injury, like sore ribs, muscles, like in there, abs, back, like 
every time you move, those are activated. So it can take a long time for those to get really better because you can't just like not move that, right? Like you can't just not move your torso. You, you got to move it to do like anything. So like, that's a little concerning. I love that we're getting good news. The fact of the matter is if they put him on the IL for two, three weeks, right? Like the Blue Jays can actually swallow that. They already had uh, Randall Grychuk just sitting on the bench doing nothing, mm-hmm. right? Like they, they already had a bit of a glut in the outfield. So even if they don't put him on the IL, they may sit him every couple of days. And again, not that concerned. If you drafted George Springer expecting 152 games, like you were already sort of in the wrong there a little. That's just not what he does. Right. So like I still he's still on track for like 140, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't see him missing more than, you know, like half a month's worth of action. So again, now it is something to keep an eye on because if it gets worse, like a uh, strained oblique can be like a six to eight week thing. So yeah. that's the one big concern. So they're going to take it slow with him. They really want him to be a leadoff hitter in the short term. The one thing I'll say is this gives uh, Kevin Biggio a chance to hit higher in the order than he was currently projected. I think he probably will get to bat a lot of first and second while Springer's out or anytime he's not in the lineup. Even if, you know, Springer's healthy, they might not have him in the lineup that day. It gives Biggio a chance to hit up at the top, it gives him more opportunities to prove that he might be able to stay up there mm-hmm. and maybe they can knock Marcus Simeon down. That's not good for Simeon's value, but it's great for Biggio. So just something to keep in mind early in the season. I know that Mike Kirkland over at Fantrax, guy I really like, Sleepy K, he tracks these batting orders. And that's what's been happening is that Biggio's getting that chance higher up in the lineup with Springer out, sort of taking him and Simeon are sort of taking the one-two spots with Springer out. So that's that's worth noting. And I think it's going to be really nice early in the season, especially if you're like a DFS person. You know, Biggio gets that bump being at the top sure, of a really good lineup. Sure. Yep. Next injury we'll talk about hurts me personally because I rostered this guy in two leagues. Kirby Yates uh, was expected to be the Blue Jays' closer this season. He underwent Tommy John surgery on Wednesday. Obviously going to miss the rest of the 2021 season, probably the start of the 2022 season as well. Earlier in the week, Jays manager Charlie Montoyo said that it wasn't likely that there'd be one pitcher that he'd rely on to be the closer in the absence of Yates. But it seems that Jordan Romano, that uh, Peter Walker called him a closer in the making. And then you have Rafael Dolis, who earned five saves for them last season. They'll have an opportunity to get some saves. I kind of like Jordan Romano better, but you also have uh, David Phelps and Tyler Chatwood. They could close out some games as well. The one interesting thing, though, I, I read was that the Braves were set to offer a contract to Yates, but they discovered some elbow uh, issues and they took away the offer. So uh, kind of surprising that the Blue Jays didn't pick up on this. I mean, Yates had some surgery last season to clean out some some bone chips, but uh, that's interesting that there was an offer on the table for the Braves that they took away. Yeah, and it's easy to speculate like, oh, why didn't the Blue Jays see it? Now, there's a very good chance they did. And their medical opinions were different. They maybe they were willing to take on the risk, right? Like medicine, it is a science, but there's an art to it. And trying to predict future injury is really, really hard, right? It's not as though he was partially torn and pitching through it. Like we saw with like Tanaka, it was something where we don't really know exactly what the Braves saw uh, versus what the Blue Jays saw. So, you know, that is an interesting piece to me as far as drafts go. Again, I like Romano in terms of like the skills. I think he's a better closer but the one I am willing to draft is whichever of the two goes much later. Romano Mm. is the one getting pumped up in drafts 
to the point where like you really need him to be the most everyday closer. Like he's got to be the closer like two out of three times to to really like get that get that value that you're drafting. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see that happening, right? It might, right? Because I do like Romano's skills. I think that he's probably good enough for that. But the Blue Jays don't have any reason to need to do that. I think they could very easily look at Dolis as well. I think that if Romano has a bad game, like Dolis is the one coming out the next day, they have no reason to be super faithful to either one of them. So if I need a late closer, which, you know, we talked about in the last episode with the Hacks and Jacks draft for the PL mm-hmm. Podcast League, I'm taking late closers, right? Guys that are fighting for the job. And Dolis will probably be one of them that I can get at the very end of the draft. I'll probably ignore Romano where he's gone in leagues that I've seen him drafted in. Uh, I've seen, I'm I'm seeing him get picked inside like the top 200. I'm out, right? Like that's too much risk for me in terms of closers who are already super risky in general, right? You know, our own Alex fast has talked a lot about how we draft closers wrong. And one of those things is thinking that they're safe closers. Like that's not a thing, right? Like these are small sample sizes. Like there are guys that are safer than the rest, but like not actually safe. Mm -hmm. So what this does is like, this might pump up some of the last of the full-time closers, like a Ryan Presley might get drafted just a little bit earlier mm-hmm. because guys that were going around him are gone. So there's fewer options. Teams are going to snap him up earlier. Otherwise I'm probably taking Dolis at the end of the draft, as opposed to reaching for Romano in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. There's only like you mentioned and a uh, good point with Presley, but the three top closers that you figure are going to have their jobs all year long, unless some catastrophe happens are Josh Hader, Liam Hendricks and Aroldis Chapman, right? Uh, other than that, uh, there's been so many teams moving towards the closer by committee. And why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't you, with all the data that you have at your fingertips, try to use the pitcher that you think will have the better matchup against a specific situation, right? No, it's exactly right. I mean, one guy that he wasn't on our little list, I'll bring him up anyway, Nick Anderson, right? So Nick Anderson's out for yeah. the season, yeah. uh, or at least for quite a long time. I don't remember exactly what the timeline was. And the question the was sort of like, break. yeah. So the question was like, oh, so who's the closer in the meantime? And the thing is, and I mentioned this on a podcast I did Friday with friends at Fantasy Benefits, the Rays don't know who the closer is going to be in a game until like the seventh inning, right? right? Trying to play this game of predicting who the closer will be is is just silly because the Rays don't know because they have no reason to be attached. They have like eight guys who can close games. What was it last year? Six guys got a save in their bullpen last yeah. year. Um, it's crazy. Right. And like Anderson led the way with 12 and then like five other dudes got, got saves. So, you know, with the Rays, that's one where I don't want anyone from their bullpen because I don't think any of them are going to win the job because the Rays don't need them to, they will play matchups every single time. They're not going to decide whether they want, you know, Peter Fairbanks to close versus, uh, Chaz Rowe versus, you know, Diego Castillo. Like they don't really care. They're going to look at, okay, who's coming up in the ninth okay, this is the best matchup based on our analytics. Cause that's how they win ball games. And this team is trying to win ball games. They're not trying to like give their closer some confidence. Cause they don't really have one. They don't need one. Mm-hmm. They're going to keep playing those matchups. Cause that's what that team does. They try to scrap and, you know, sort of like finagle their way into wins. And one of the ways to do that is good bullpen management. It's difficult, but they do a great job at it and they're not going to have a name closer. They never will. I think you should ignore them all unless you're in like, you can still take those guys in holds leagues because they're all eligible to get holds mm-hmm. or whatever. And I think they'll all have good ratios. They'll, they'll all be good pitchers. They just might not get the save because the Rays don't care. They don't care about the save at all. Yeah. And uh, like you mentioned, 
holds. I mean, I think that, you know, fantasy baseball has to evolve and realize that with the advent of the closer by committee, that maybe they should change that category from just saves to the saves and holds leagues. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of leagues have started to do that. There's a lot of cool strategy. I mean, we have our, we have our own stuff over at, um, pitcher list about how you know, you can rank guys in saves and holds leagues have great lists for that. The one thing I'll say is number one in saves and holds leagues, the top tier closers are still the best by a wide margin, right? Mm-hmm. Like nobody gets 40 holds, right? We just don't see that anymore, especially because like the eighth inning is often by committee, right? Like we don't have a lot of like pure on the teams only setup guys anymore. You know, th- those roles have all been broken down a lot more than they used to be. But again, I think, you know, fantasy baseball, we use saves because it's an easy category. I like mm-hmm. saves and holds a lot more because what are we trying to, you know, what are we trying to capture with saves, right? We're trying to capture good relievers, right? Um, apart from just their ERA and their whip, like who, who are good in the high pressure situations? And the fact is holds are just as high pressure as saves, right? Like sure, I know sure. the saves, the very last inning or whatever, but like holds are just as important because you need mm-hmm. to be able to get to the ninth inning. Right. And that's why teams are we're seeing more and more teams put their best reliever in the fireman role instead of just the ninth, uh, because they need like they need to come in in high pressure situations and get these holds. So I do think league should all consider moving to the stat and all of the major providers offer it. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I mean, some of the some of the guys I just throw out some names because you did a great job last week uh, in drafting closers and then relievers in that hacks and jacks podcast network draft you grab daniel bard who's going to be the rockies closer with basically our last pick you know anthony bass is supposedly going to be the marlins closer richard rodriguez is going to be the pirates closer uh, brian garcia might even get some saves for your tigers right uh, tanner scott is going to be closing for the orioles reyes montferranta for the giants might get some uh, saves i guess the one thing also to note is a lot of these guys i'm just mentioning play for bad teams so the one thing i think that to note is right around the trade deadline some of these guys might get traded especially if these teams are out of contention and if they've been the original team their closer they might not be the closer on the team that they get traded to so just keep that in mind as well yeah we see that all the time i will say that the bigger concern for those guys is less about the trade and more about just being good Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'm not worried so much about like Daniel Bard getting traded. I'm more worried that he's going to have a four and a half ERA and that his saves won't be worth it to me. And right. I'll have to let him go. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's the big, like Richard Rodriguez. I'm not drafting. Cause I don't think he's that good. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I don't want the saves that bad. So that's the other thing to keep in mind with these, with these closers at the back end. Like I tend to favor guys who are good pitchers that I'm hoping get a role as mm-hmm. opposed to guys with a role that I hope will be good pitchers. Right. Right. It's a good strategy. All right, so uh, let's move on. Some of you might be done drafting your fantasy baseball teams, like me, uh, smart listeners to the podcast. Drafting right up until opening day, I hope, right? Because opening day is this Thursday, so we've got a few more days. Like I said, I might try to find a new draft to get involved in. But uh, we thought that it might be helpful to identify some of the positional players that might have gone undrafted in your league so far. Uh, You know, I mean, we're talking guys, ADPs of 250 and above, that should be on your watch list. And actually some of the players that we're going to talk about might be worthy of being in your starting lineups, depending on the depth of your league. So Scott, no matter what platform I've played in, I've always found it very important to create the watch list. Or if you play CBS sport league 
they call it a scout team. Very important, especially with what's going on with baseball today. We're going to get a 162-game season, but COVID's still there. You never know. You might get you know a group of players that for contact tracing, they might have been exposed to COVID and what it's still there. So I think fantasy baseball managers more than ever need to be prepared. You need a safety net this season. Absolutely. And the other thing is your platform almost certainly is going to sort available players on the waiver wire by one of two ways. They're either going to do it based on like last season numbers or projected full season numbers, or they're going to do it on actual performance, right? The human brain can't just like remember everything. It wants smaller groups than like a full list of players. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about a watch list, especially this early in the season is guys that like we're excited about in draft season that maybe like just couldn't make it onto your roster. Cause it's like a Yahoo league, 12 teams, no corner, no middle, only three outfielders guys that you really like, but like, you know, they weren't quite good enough to make it. You want those on your watch list because it's going to be hard to remember them when they're not appearing in the searches that you do. Mm-hmm. on your waiver wire and you're going to be heavily biased towards the players that a- appear at the top of those lists. I know that cuz I write the batter's box, you know, multiple I used to write it multiple times a week. I'll write it one time a week this coming season. And that's who I'm always asked about is the guy at the top of whatever Yahoo says is the best player over the last 7 days. And often it's kind of not a guy that's that interesting, but players are biased towards it cuz he's at the top of that list. So having a watch list helps you filter down who you actually want to care about early on. Like other guys will pop up, but they'll be easy to find. Finding like, oh yeah, what about, you know, a guy we'll talk about a little later, like Jonathan Scope. Mm-hmm. He might not be at the very top of that list because maybe he's like, you know, two for seven over the first couple of games and you already have a second baseman to replace. Like he's not going to appear at the top of the list, but he might be the best player available. So you mm-hmm. want to have that watch list is just another place to go to real quick of like, oh yeah. I was told to like, think about this guy. How's he doing so far? Is this a better pick than the guy at the, like it gives you easier comparisons to make instead of just, these are all the guys who have the hottest first five days of the season. Cause a lot of those guys just aren't going to matter long-term. Yeah. Yeah. So well, let's get started. We'll start with the, the first base position. And Scott, if you feel that there's some players that I'm leaving out, you know, bring them up, but uh, some of them might be obvious, but you know, you got to look at what Bobby Dalbeck, uh, first baseman, for the Red Sox has been doing this spring. He's rostered in 42% of Yahoo leagues. We've seen an uptick in his ADP recently, you know, up until the end of February, he was going basically in the 26th round, heating up. And since March 1st, going in the 22nd round, had a nice start to his big league career last season, eight home runs in his first 80 at bats. And even batted 263, even though he struck out, 42% 42% of the time. Now, in the past, like in his minor league career, he has worked on on improving his plate discipline and cut down on his strikeouts from uh, 2018 to 2019. But man, if he could just really get that plate discipline under control with that green monster in Fenway, this guy could easily hit 30 plus home runs. Yeah, he sure could. But like that thing you're asking him to do with the plate <laughs> discipline, like we talked about that being an adjustment for a guy with an advanced hit tool like Andrew Vaughn. That's not what Dahlbeck has. Mm-hmm. Dahlbeck has advanced power, but not an advanced hit tool. That's my big concern. I think he should be on your watch list if, you know, especially if like you sort of punted first base a little in your draft. But what you're watching for isn't necessarily like the big power. We know he's got it. Even if he doesn't hit a home run in the first week, I'll tell you, Joe's right. He can hit a ton of home runs. Mm-hmm. The problem for me is if he's striking out 40% of the time, you know, right away, 
that's going to be a big concern because it's going to be hard for him to hit over 200. And especially in a shallower league, like you can find the 30 home, you know, 25 to 30 home runs without a 200 batting average. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the more things we're asking Dahlbeck to do the first for the first time, like control strikeouts in the majors or play a full season and hit a bunch of home runs. Like the more times you're asking someone to do something the first time, the more you should kind of slide them down your list a little, cause that's mm-hmm. risk, right? Like right. Bobby, Bobby Dahlbeck can do that, but he hasn't yet, right? I'm not saying he won't or that it's a long shot. I think he could, right? But I think he could, not that he has. And I, especially in a shallower league, I'm a little more biased towards guys that have done it before. And I just want him to do it again, instead of this guy could do it if, right? I'm already putting two conditionals in there. That's a problem. Great point, but he does have that Hulk smash kind of power. Hulk smash! You mentioned CJ Crone. And I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on him because we talked about him before. And he really, if you talk about ADP creeping up, you look at this guy, like I said, 26th round, he was going in up until the end of February. Now it's the 16th round, rostered in 55% of Yahoo leagues. Uh, the only thing is, I mean, do you think we're getting too excited about him playing his home games at Coors Field? I mean, he's another guy, 30 home runs. Projection models, like I said, have him approaching 30 home runs and actually not killing you with a batting average around 270. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing Coors does for him is batting average, right? Because the outfield in Coors is massive, right? It's just so big. And it also makes, you know, breaking balls don't move as hard in, you know, in Colorado because of the air density that helps a lot with his batting average. It doesn't actually help that much with home runs, right? Because they've got the humidor and everything there. And it's a huge outfield in Colorado, like it actually doesn't help his home runs. I think the two things about Crone. So I actually ranked him just outside the top 20 at first base, which is, you know, a huge sin for how a lot of people are treating him right now. Two big problems. I, I don't want to say they're problems with CJ Crone. The two sort of hesitations I have with CJ Crone are one that the Coors effect goes both ways. He's going to struggle on the road. Right, that's just what happens. All Coors hitters have this. Nolan Arenado had this, and I'll tell you, Nolan Arenado is, you know, three times the hitter that C.J. Crone has ever been. Sure. Right, in terms of <laughs> yeah. how you know how he can hit for average power and all that stuff. And if it if it was a struggle for Nolan Arenado, it'll be a struggle for C.J. Crone. Right, durability is the other big issue with C.J. Crone. We've not seen him play a you know, 150 games. Just like probably he's out of the out of the works probably something more like 130 to 140 I'd project for. And at the end of the day, it's just power RBI and a decent batting average. And like, that's good, but I still have 15 first basemen. I like better. So he's probably drafted in your leagues. If you've already drafted by the time you're listening to this, I think that he's a good first. If you punt first base and decide, I want to go after my other positions. Cause I don't like any of the, you know, I don't like any of the first basemen that have showed up when it's my turn to pick fine. You want to use CJ Crone as a fallback? I'm all for it. But like, I don't want you to think that you're going to get top 12 value out of CJ Crone because mm-hmm. that's that's his absolute ceiling is like a top 12 first baseman. Because while we say that first base isn't super deep, that's because of the names at the top versus the names at like 15, 20, right? But like, yep. he's not going to be a league winner first base, right? Especially now with where he's being drafted. Like a huge hype was how late he was going but the hype and the ADP have caught up to each other. So you're paying market right now. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's no longer a like, oh man, I can't believe I'm getting him so late because you're not getting him that late anymore. Mm -hmm. 
Next guy I'll talk about uh, is Rowdy Telez. Whenever I mention Rowdy, I always think of uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. I don't know if you're into any old school wrestling there, Scott, but uh, <laughs> he was Rowdy before Rowdy was cool. I was Rowdy before Rowdy was cool. <laughs> so um, uh, Rowdy Telez rostered in 8% of Yahoo Leagues. To me, the key with Telez is whether or not he gets enough at-bats ADP of 311, 2020 season ended prematurely due to injury. Big time jump in his contact rate last season. Strikeout rate drop. I think if he gets a, enough at-bats, this guy could give you 20 or so home runs. Do you think he gets there? So I want to see if it's like going to be a pure platoon for him at the DH spot, right? Because, you know, I think early in the season, it might be a little misleading depending on what goes on with Springer, right? So if Springer's not playing early, that lets it that lets the Blue Jays put Grychuk in the outfield and gives Telez sort of like the the lion's share of the DH bats, right? So that's cool, and I want to see if he can keep a lot of those gains that we saw back in 2020, right? So like that's what I'm watching for and why he's on my watch list. But the real thing I want to see is okay. So now George at some point George Springer is going to be playing full time, right? Now if Springer we find out he's out for two months, like you can sort of ignore this a little bit, but if Springer's back. And Telez is like in a pure 50-50 timeshare with Grychuk for those DH at-bats. I'm out, right? Because I like what he can do. And in like an AL-only league or a very, very deep league, I think there still might be some value there. But like in a 12-teamer, a guy can't play part-time and be in your starting lineup. And in most 12-teamers, you don't want to use your bench spots on hitters unless you have a whole bunch of them, right? You're going to be using those to stream pitchers for the most part. You don't want more than one hitter. And that hitter that's sitting on your bench should probably be a full-time player, right? A player that you can put in, you know, ideally multiple positions kind of thing. So that's why, you know, he should be on your watch list because if he's getting a lot of at-bats, he's hitting well, he's going to be, and the Blue Jays will start him over Randall Grychuk at some point, right? If mm -hmm. he's doing really well or giving him at least like most of the at-bats there. But if he's not, like there's a lot of things that could happen where Telez doesn't provide the sort of production that we're looking for because he's not playing enough or those gains didn't come back. That's when I'm out. Great analysis. And we can move on to the second base position. The first guy I'll talk about, we don't need to spend a lot of time on him, uh, but Gavin Lux, 68% rostered in Yahoo. A lot of hype regarding uh, him as a, a prospect so far. Hasn't panned out, but showing some good spring numbers. Manager Dave Roberts saying that he's going to get regular playing time. Uh, no Enrique Hernandez, no Jock Peterson. So there are at-bats available in that lineup. Upside for this season, 20 home runs, 10 stolen bases, and that ceiling could rise as his career takes off. Yeah, I agree. I like Gavin Lux a lot. If you notice, I'm very bullish on him in the pitcher list rankings. I ranked him 13th, right? Like really high. But part of that is because of the strategy that we decided to go with at pitcher list, which is, you know, at some point in second base, you start to get to a lot of guys who are like the same, who are ho-hum boring. Like I want to, I'd say a guy like uh, Gene Segura, right? Mm -hmm. So Segura is a good player. And in a 15 team league, Segura has a ton of value because he plays a lot. He'll get you double digit home runs and stolen bases, right? Like barely double digits, but double digits hit for a good average. Like he's an accumulator. And there's a lot of those at second base, right? So like some other guys that, that we could talk about in this spot would be like, Scope. I like yes. him. Power, but an accumulator, right? Like not, not a standout player. Mm -hmm. Starlin Castro going to yeah. play a lot hit in the middle of an order, but not an elite bat, not elite power. He's an accumulator, right? 
Cesar Hernandez. That's another guy. He's an accumulator. He's very Gene Segura-like where project like auction calculators will love him because he's going to get a lot of stats, but like on a per game basis, Lux is more exciting than all of those guys, mm-hmm. right? So we ranked him above there because at the end of the day, if you have Gavin Lux at the end of your bench or is on your watch list, you pick him up, he doesn't do well for two weeks, cut him and go get Cesar Hernandez. Cut yes. him and go get Jonathan Scope. They're still out there, mm-hmm. right? Like they're still going to be available. There's going to be a Starling Castro on your bench that you can replace Lux with if he doesn't pan out. If Lux does pan out, there's not a player of that caliber on your waiver wire. Right. That's just not, he's not out there. Right. So I am all about, especially in like a 12 team, like Yahoo league, where it's just second base, no middle infield, uh, do it, take a Gavin Lux, you know, maybe in the later rounds of your draft or pick him up, have him on the end of your bench. And if after a week or two, he's not really playing, just let him go. Mm -hmm. Right. You won't lose anything. And you can like, you can still get one of scope Hernandez or Castro Mm -hmm. in a 12 team league. I guarantee it. One of them will be out there unless you're rostering like 40 guys each. In a standard 12-team league, at least one, if not all three, will be available. You can go get them later. That's why the watch list is there. You make the watch list because you took some risks in the draft. And if they don't pan out early, you can let them go and go get somebody who's steady Eddie that was going to be there anyway because nobody in their draft is like, oh, man, I'm so pumped, Cesar Hernandez. Like, that's not happening. Not happening. Uh, Even the biggest Indian or Cleveland fans – aren't that excited about like, they're not that excited about Cesar Hernandez. Right. So just, just wait, just wait, take a Lux, get in on it. And then let the other second baseman just happen. Same for like Josh Rojas. A lot of people are excited about Josh Rojas. Yeah. yeah. I'm not so much, but it's another thing where if you're really into it, take him late in the draft. And if it doesn't work out for two weeks, cut him, go get Starlin Castro. Yeah. Uh, Josh Rojas, uh, like you said, a lot of people are into him. 515 ADP. Interesting story, though. He changed, I was reading about him, he changed the way he prepared for spring training, changed his diet, changed his sleep habits, changed the way he was lifting weights, like I said, eating better, stopped bringing his phone with him to bed, and he says it's actually helped him. So, you know, comes to think about it, how much of this game is mental? I mean, if you think something as simple as better sleeping habits is going to make you a better baseball player, why not? I mean, if you've ever had bad sleeping habits and then went to good ones, you're going to know exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. If you ate like junk and then stopped eating like junk, oh, yeah. you know exactly what he's talking about. Eat clean, so, bro. Cool. Yes. Yeah. Mm. It's like, cool. You can buy in. And then if it doesn't work out, cut him and pick up Jonathan Scope. Like, that's yeah. what I want yeah. the takeaway to be here is like, go ahead and take that gamble, knowing that a guy like Scope, Hernandez, or Castro are going to yeah. be sitting on the wire to replace him and will give you enough value until you find something better. Yep, all those are great uh, watch list candidates at the second base position. Move over to shortstop, and uh, we'll talk about your Tigers. Uh, Willie Castro, ADP of 250. Interesting, 78% rostered in CBS, only 29% in Yahoo leagues. Good contact hitter from both sides of the plate. Finished fourth in AL Rookie of the Year voting. Batted 349. Going to be some regression there. BABIP was 448, so a little luck there maybe, but Scott, here's a question for the ages when it comes to Willie Castro. Who is he? Is he the guy that should be rostered in 78% of CBS Sports Leagues or a guy uh, that should only be rostered in 29% of Yahoo Leagues? I mean, who is he? Who am I is a question for the ages. That's one we're all searching for to find out who I am, who's in there, who wants to come out and go, hey, I'm hungry. Can he be... Can he be both, right? So like one of the big differences between these two formats worth pointing out is that most CBS leagues will have a 
corner and middle infield uh, and Yahoo leagues won't like just based on the standard setups for those two leagues. And Willie Castro is probably third and shortstop eligible in those formats. So he becomes a very useful piece. The more starting position you have, because you can put him at middle or corner. You're not probably starting him at third or short, but you can start him at middle or corner. His, his spring training has been quite hot, right? It's sort of like a continuation of what we saw in 2020. Look, I don't know who this guy is. I love the tigers. I watched a lot of them. I have no idea which version of the player he is. Like, is he a prospect who like, like came out in a, like a blazing fireball and then just fizzled out? Like maybe, right. Did something fundamentally change? Maybe I don't see it yet. His, his stat cast data is really weird. I actually compared him in the write-ups to like Luisa Reyes in that he has this like weak power, but he's get, the, he gets this nice expected batting average. Cause he hits these like line sort of like sometimes softer, like line drive sort of things that just keep falling. Right. And then occasionally unlike Arias, he sprinkles in a bit more power, right? Cool. Right. Neat. No idea what he is. I like him again as like a late pick because there's going to be some, if you like, if you pick him up in a CBS league to be like your corner middle infield and he doesn't work out, guess what? The scopes, the Hernandez's, the Castro's, they're all going to be available. (laughs) There's going to be other like, accumulator, not that interesting shortstops out there, like an Andrelton Simmons, just sitting out there waiting for you to grab them. If Castro doesn't pan out, I like taking that gamble. That's an approach I take a lot because I know that I can get replacement level value for him without paying anything. Right. 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 Like, so, so I'm into that. I mean, that's really the same with two other guys we have on this list that we're going to talk about Wander Franco and Bobby Witt, right? So less into Bobby Witt. Cause I just don't see a reason for the, like for the Royals to play him. Right. I, I just don't see why they'd bring him up. Like he could have a great of a spring as they want. They're just going to say he needs more time. Sure. He still is bare. Like he barely has played in, in professional ball. Let him go down. Franco, different story. He's played more in the minor leagues. He could very well, like they thought about bringing him up for the playoffs. They didn't. Cause nobody wants to date. I mean, like players might want to debut in the playoffs, but that's a really bad position to put them in. You can take him, let him sit on your bench for a while. If he doesn't come up, let him go. Let him go and then go pick up somebody else who's going to be around, right? But like if you if you're a big prospect hound, dynasty leagues, he's obviously owned, right? If you've got deep benches, someone's going to draft him. Maybe you don't. If you really want to be the first one in on Wander Franco, you're a race fan, you're a Franco fan, whatever, you can do it. Just be ready to cut bait, right? Because yep. at some point, if your team is suffering, you're going to need that spot. You're going to have to let him go. So only draft him if you're going to be willing to cut him at the end of April if he hasn't played and there's no news that he's coming. So right. be ready for that. I'll bring up one other guy at the shortstop position. Then we move over to third base. Angelton Simmons, 374 ADP. He's had health issues over the years, but 162 game average, 10 homers, 10 stolen bases. Just gives you depth. Just keep him on your watch list in case you have some injuries where you need to you know, replace someone. But let's move on to third base. J.D. Davis, ADP 252. He's going to be third base and outfield eligible in most league formats. Good power, but a career ground ball rate of over 50% might limit his home run uh, production overall. Showed some good on-base percentage skills last season, 13.5% walk rate. What are your thoughts on on, uh, on Davis? Is he a worthwhile guy to have on your watch list? I mean, I don't think he's worthy of an everyday starter anymore, even as a quarter infield. Yeah, so actually, he's a guy that's interesting because he's been falling down my rankings all off season. Like every time the Mets do something, they basically keep bringing in more major league everyday starter capable guys that land on their bench, right? Kevin Pillar, 
um, Jonathan VR, like they're all there. They're just sitting there and that's going to eat into his playing time. They already weren't like, they didn't really start him every day until they had to. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't play every day. That really takes him out of consideration as a starting third baseman for me. I don't want a starting third baseman that I don't, that I'm not totally sure is going to play every day, but he does have decent power. He's always been interesting from a stat cast perspective because he does hit the ball really hard. Again, a guy that you can, I actually like him as like a watch list guy. Cause I might take a gamble on somebody else and then cut him and kind of hope that a JD Davis type person is out there, which by the way, there's, there's several, right? Like mm-hmm. JD Davis doesn't do something special that other guys can't do. Right. He's got a bit of power hits for an okay average. And like, so do a lot of guys at third base. So yeah. you can probably, you can spec on him if you want, put him on your watch list if you want, knowing that he's out there, especially if he gets hot. But like, I'm, I want him on my watch list, not on my draft board. Right. And you talk about third baseman who could do something special. You can talk quick about uh, John Birdie, ADP 288, who might not play every day, but he's second base, third base, shortstop, outfield eligible, and he'll actually give you stolen bases, which, let's face it, there's a premium for in fantasy. Yeah, and it keeps sounding like they want him to play almost every day, like the old Marwin Gonzalez super utility guy that mm-hmm. plays five of six games a week, right, right. at different positions every day. Give somebody and, a rest, right? Yeah, it, and so I, I like him a lot. The deeper the league, the more John Birdie bumps up my board, right? So like in a 12-team Yahoo league, he's like borderline, like he might be that last bench guy like the one hitter on my bench because he can fill in at so many places, does something I might need. I might go head-to-head weekly league. I might realize, oh, crap, it's Thursday. I don't have, like, I'm behind two or three stolen bases. John Birdie stole four of them in a game. Granted, it was against the Mets who weren't stopping anybody in 2019. But, you know, that's a guy who has a real value. He might actually find a way onto your starting lineup, even if you have a good team set up. Like, you might say, like, okay, look, I just need the steals. I need John Birdie in. That's why I like him more than I like a JD Davis as my bench guy. Cause like, right. how does JV, how does JD Davis get on my starting lineup? How does that happen? Who does he have to beat? If I've got good outfielders and good third baseman, that never happens. JD Davis never, that never happens. Like JD Davis will never be ahead of a, like a top 10 third baseman for me, unless like they completely got, like they got hurt and they're out. Right. Right. But there's actually this like reality where it's like, okay, look, I've got a, I've got like more of a back end starting second baseman who doesn't steal bases, but I, now I need stolen bases, right? Okay. John birdie, you're in, right? Like, yeah, it kind of stinks. I'm putting my second baseman, you know, in, in, you know, into my utility spot and knocking someone else out of the utility spot to the bench, but I need the stolen bases. There's a reason for me to start him. That's not the case with like a JD Davis. Mm-hmm. He just, he's doing stuff that a bunch of my guys on my team already do. Probably. This last guy in the third base position will probably gain second base eligibility as well. I find him very intriguing. Jonathan India from the Reds. Reds uh, were tinkering with him, playing some second base this spring, moving Mike Moustakas to third, Eugenio Suarez to short. They've released D. Strange Gordon, leaves a clear path for India to get some regular at-bats at second base. Good college player, 310, 411, 530 slash line, has shown some pop and speed in two minor league seasons. Kind of intriguing with this guy. Might turn into an everyday player. You know, if you have a deep enough bench, might uh, be worth a flyer. The perfect watch league candidate, right? He's on, he's on a team who has a gaping hole at shortstop, right? Just 
big gaping hole. They have, they have not known what they're going to do there. I kept thinking they were going to trade for like Ahmed Rosario or something because they need a shortstop and they still don't have one. That's why they're thinking about moving like Eugenio Suarez over. Like that's why they're playing with some of these ideas. So Jonathan India probably won't be drafted in most Yahoo leagues. Probably, you know, might not even get drafted in like ESPN and CBS style leagues, Mm -hmm. but he should be on your watch list. Cause if he's playing even three or four times a week, that's the time to scoop him and let him sit. This is actually a well-regarded prospect. A guy who can do a lot of things on the field, a guy that could be a potential difference maker more, more likely at like a corner middle infield thing than like a second or third or shortstop kind of guy, but a, a great guy to put on the watch list because you want to keep an eye on him. Even if he's not showing up at the top of your standard waiver wire sort, I want to keep an eye. I want to see if he's playing how well he's doing. You're going to get like, you don't need to draft him. That's the thing you don't need to draft him. So don't right? Mm-hmm. Draft the guys you have to draft because they won't be there, but wait on India. Just keep an eye on him, right? If you have really deep benches, sure. I, I can see why you draft him because then he might get drafted in your league, but like in a normal Yahoo, he won't be right? right. Like if I'm wrong, like, let me know, but he's not going to be drafted. So put him on the watch list and just be ready to pounce. If he's playing a lot, you know, yep. almost immediately go ahead and spec on that. Yep. No, I agree with you. And we could just move on to the outfield position real quick. David Peralta, Corey Dickerson. Peralta's rostered in 29% of Yahoo leagues. Dickerson's rostered in 4% of Yahoo leagues. Uh, Steamer has Peralta for 267, 18 home runs. Dickerson, 265 and 19 home runs. You might not draft these guys, especially if you're playing in the Yahoo league where you're only starting three outfielders. But a couple of guys that should be on your watch list just in case you need to replace an outfielder due to an injury. Yeah. And actually I'm going to use this little segment to talk about strategy approaches in three versus five outfielder leagues, because these play a lot differently than you might think, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if you haven't played both of them enough, a five outfield league, Corey Dickerson, uh, David Peralta become a lot more valuable because especially if you're in like a 15 teamer, but even like a 12 teamer, you're talking, uh, 60 starting outfielders, right? And it's probably going to be more like 70 because a lot of these outfield eligible guys will be starting at other positions for a lot of people. I'm thinking like Cody Bellinger might be someone's first baseman. So that takes away an outfielder. So you're talking like 65 deep outfield gets real thin by that point. Replacement level drops significantly. So you like a guy like Corey Dickerson because you don't need to replace him. He does not hurt you. He offers some deficit batting average hits in the middle of the order. He can accumulate. And I've heard use this word a couple times because accumulators are valuable in deep leagues. They are not that valuable in a Yahoo three outfield league, right? They simply, cause they're not, they're not lifting you above your competition. They're just keeping you probably slightly below them. That's when I want to gamble a little, like what if David Dahl bounces back, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the guy I want on my watch list or at the end of my bench or as my last outfielder. Cause one, I can just cut him and replace him with someone like a Corey Dickerson or a David mm-hmm. Peralta or if not one of those two specifically, one of the dozen other outfielders that'll be out there because three times 12 is only 36. Even if you're generous, you bump it up to like 45. If you go to the rankings, the 45th outfielder is a lot better than the seventh one, right? Like there's several tiers in between those, right? Several, like a lot of different expectations. So in the, in the shallower format, I'm, I'm actually attacking guys who might be able to do something special. If I'm in an OBP league, Jesse Winker, right? He's yeah. a guy that ev- we get excited about him every spring and he's disappointed mm-hmm. us pretty much every time since then. But if you want to jump back on that train, go ahead. This is the time of year when he's exciting. 
And if he does pan out, like we keep hoping, he's a big time difference maker in OBP leagues. Mm -hmm. He hits for an okay average as well. He's got some pop. He, he can do some special stuff, right? Uh, Christian Pache and Manny Margot, right? Like not, there's not a ton of power there, but both those guys can steal bags. Pache is a little different. He's probably going to play every day. Margot probably won't, but they can steal a bunch of bags. They could end up being very valuable pieces. And if they're not drop them, you can get the accumulator later. Mm -hmm. Uh, in the deeper leagues, like Pache is sort of still valuable because you might need those stolen bases. And that's the one thing he's going to do, but he's probably a little lower on my board than like a Corey Dickerson because I need five guys who I really actually want to start in the outfield. Mm -hmm. And Pache could very well be someone I don't want to start, even though he's stealing, because the bat skills aren't spectacular, right? I like him as a potential rookie of the year candidate, but I need him to hit first. Uh, his glove is amazing. He's going to play every day, but he might not hit very well. And that's going to really hurt you in fantasy. So yes. like, but I like taking those gambles in the shallow leagues. And then the deeper leagues, it's more like, okay, I'll go get Corey Dickerson. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I like Corey Dickerson. I got nothing against him. My boy Yancey Eaton loved Corey Dickerson back in the day. Uh, I, I like what he can do in a deep league. I just right. don't need to roster him in a three outfield league because mm -hmm. I can get someone more exciting who will produce a similar stat line because they're just more outfield available. You can stream outfielders in a three outfield format in a five. That's a lot more difficult. So you really want established players at least like four positions deep. If you want to stream the fifth, maybe go ahead. It's just going to be a little painful at times. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, Manny Margot. Steamer has him projected for 18 stolen bases and he's not going to kill your batting average either. Only rostered in 50% of Yahoo leagues, but definitely great analysis uh, describing the difference between leagues where you start three or five outfielders. So we talked uh, at the start of the show that we're going to talk about positional players that should be on your watch list. So the last position that we'll talk about is catcher real quick. And for me, you know, Wilson Ramos, Tigers, Alejandro Kirk for the Blue Jays. Uh, I have a sneaky suspicion by the end of the season, he might be the starting catcher over in Toronto. And you wonder if the Orioles might, by the end of the season, bring up Adley Rushman. It's still questionable, but I feel maybe just keep an eye out for him. Sure, right? Sure. So here's the thing with catcher. In a single catcher league, you are not using a bench spot on catcher. No. In a two catcher league, you're not using a bench spot on catcher, right? So if there's another catcher you're interested in, they're on your watch list. Just yes. put them there. Yes. Keep an eye on them, right? And then you can cut as you want. If you are intentionally streaming the catcher position, it is really helpful to have a couple guys on your watch list. And also checking out the article that we do over at Pitcher List every week about catchers to stream because you're going to do a lot of like matchup stuff, right? So like a guy that stands out is like Elias Diaz, who's over in Colorado. Yeah. I think they're going to platoon the catchers a little bit in Colorado. But if he's got a homestand and his platoon is the one that's going to get the most action that week, that's a great stream, mm -hmm. right? He can make a difference for you that week. And then you cut him for someone else the next week. The guys that you might watch list as someone who could be an actual different difference maker full season, you know, maybe Wilson Ramos, he might find something again. Um, Alejandro Kirk is another one. I, some people are drafting him as a starting catcher. I don't like that because it's hard enough to get production from catcher from full-time starters, right? It's really hard for platoon sure. guys. So you need him to win that job, but he could be interesting. Right. And you know, you mentioned Adley Rushman. That's a decent one. I like what he might be able to do. Uh, but otherwise like, I, I'm not really watch listing a ton of catchers. I mean, maybe like Omar Narvaez just to see if anything comes back. 
Right. And if it doesn't, like you just take them off your watch list, right? Because you're not gonna you're not gonna stash any of these guys. You're not stashing catchers. I repeat, no. you're Especially not stashing catch catchers. You're just watch right. list them and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Go ahead. You wanna you wanna watch list Joey Bart because when he comes up, you think maybe he'll get more playing time because Buster Posey might be hurt again. Like surprise, surprise. Sure, go ahead. But for God's sake, watch list him. Don't actually add the guy until it's actually happening. It's okay to miss some of these guys on catcher, right? It's it's okay because you can stream a replacement level catcher at all times, right? We actually, we've we've written this article for a couple of years. We're, we're pretty mm -hmm. good at it. You can stream catchers all the time and get the 15th-ish value at catcher. It's it's not that hard. You just play matchups because the 15th catcher is not very good, mm -hmm. right? Like That's just how it works out. So something worth doing. Yeah, watch list. I mean, honestly, watch list, watch list whoever you want. You want to watch list Dalton Bar show in sure. case you call him up? Sure. Go ahead. Whatever you want to do. I will never get mad at you for watch listing a catcher, right? I'll get mad at you if you add him and you're not going to like, you're not going to play him. He's sitting on your bench. Like there's certainly a better player for your bench than your backup catcher, but you're probably not going to start anyway. Great stuff. Great analysis as always from Scott. And that that's it for today, right? I want to thank you for allowing us to visit with you. Uh, we hope that you were informed and entertained because that's our goal. You can follow me. On Twitter at Joe Galina, follow Scott at If the Chew Fits, follow the podcast at Hacks and Jacks PL, and you can also follow at Pitcher List Pods, and you'll be informed anytime a new episode drops for any of the great podcasts that are on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. And I want you to subscribe to Hacks and Jacks on Apple Podcasts, and if you can, leave us a stellar five star review. As always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. Good luck with your remaining drafts. Enjoy opening day, and we'll see you next time.